You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a brand new show on the Packernet Podcast Network. It's so new that uh, we don't officially have a name for it yet. I've got a short list of some finalists. I'll, I'll run through those with you in a second and see, you know, what rolls off the tongue easiest. My name is JJ Leahy. If you've been listening to the Packernet Podcast for a while, you do know me. I've been on a bunch of episodes, been a guest host a bunch of times. So many of you may remember me from the Daily Cheese on here. I can't really reuse that name because it's a weekly show, not a daily show. And, and Weekly Cheese doesn't have the same ring to it. just sounds like expired cheese. Uh, thank you to everybody who answered the call on Twitter to weigh in with some name suggestions. Had a couple that were pitched that already exist. There's a lot of Packers podcasts out there. That's fine. Um one of the one of the ones that I loved, I don't know if I'm going to use it or not, but the Lambo Leahy. <laughs> Hello, I'm JJ Leahy, and you're listening to the Lambo Leahy. I don't know about that. We'll see. Um, packing it in or pack it in. That's that's a name that's been pitched that I like. Sons of Lombardi, kind of like Sons of Anarchy. I I like that one a lot. Guess who's pack? The Packer Project. Fields of Green and Gold. These are all really good ones. And then there's Cheese and Packers, and I, I'm leaning toward Cheese and Packers, but um, they're, they're, we do have a Facebook page by that name. Um, Ryan needed a, a name for the page, and we brainstormed, and I said, hey, what about Cheese and Packers? And then as we're trying to figure out a name for this podcast here, I don't know, a year or two years later, I... I'm thinking, man, I burned a really good podcast name on a Facebook page. And Ryan's like, eh, why not? Might increase some traffic to the page. Who knows? So we'll see. Uh, temporarily, it's probably cheese and Packers. Um, but uh, I, I don't want to commit to something just yet. Would love some feedback from you guys. Anyways, what we're going to do on this show, this is going to be deep dives into some projects. This is going to be topical. Uh, I'm not planning on doing a lot of like, hey, here's the news, and I'm going to react to it. Um, we'll do a tiny bit of that, but I mean, come on. There's enough shows out there that do that already. Uh, Packernet Podcast is one of the best. Uh, Ryan does a lot of talking about the news. You don't need to hear it from me a second time. Especially since uh, the new show with Clayton, uh, Packers Total Access, 
is uh, heavily focused on that. He does a, a great job. I've uh, really enjoyed the two episodes he's released so far. Welcome to the Packernet family, Clayton. But I want to kick things off today, actually, with a little bit of talk about the whole London game. Because I just saw so many international fans who were absolutely overjoyed. <laughs> uh, Dara is a long-term long-time fa- uh, friend of the show, um, helped us out for a long time doing the Packernet newsletter before um, he got too big to the point where he was getting big boy money from big boy companies and uh, his his dreams and aspirations were taken off uh, through the stratosphere. He's He's been wildly successful. Uh, really happy to see his growth. He's a very smart guy. Uh, he's obviously super excited about the Packers going to London, and so is everybody else who lives in the UK and other European countries. I'm, I'm really hoping that we get that Munich game as well. Uh, we do play the Buccaneers on the road. The Buccaneers have a home game in Munich. I would love to get that one. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this. If the Packers go to Munich, I'm going to Munich. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, I had a lot of conversation yesterday. Yesterday? I don't know. Today's Tuesday for me. You're listening to this on Wednesday. I recorded this on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, Tuesday. It was today. Had a lot of conversation today with UK Packer fans about just what it meant to them. I got a message from a guy in Scotland. I got a quick little message from the UK and Irish Packers Twitter account. That's at UK Packers. Interacted with them a little bit yesterday, today. <laughs> it's been a long day, if you can't tell. And I ended up chatting with a guy um, and decided to bring him on the show. Wanted to talk to him a little bit about what it means to be a Packer fan living abroad. All right, I'm joined here by Phil from UK Cheeseheads. That is a uh, blog that, uh, Phil, you started that during the lockdown as a way to kind of keep yourself from going crazy, right? That's exactly it, yeah. Something <laughs> to do and pass the, pass the time. Hey, thank you for coming on. I wanted to kind of get a bit of perspective here uh, from someone who is living in the UK. First of all, tell me, what does it mean to you that the Packers are finally coming to London? Honestly, I can't tell you how long I've waited for this day. Like when we first had the international games in 2007 and I was lucky to in the ballot and get a ticket. So I've been to every international game they've had. So all 30 and I've dreamt this for as long as I can imagine. Just being able to see the Packers where I live. Like I can't wait. What was your reaction when you first heard it? What what, what are the other people in your house here? Uh, I was at work and there might have been some very large swear words. You <laughs> so tell me this. How does someone who lives over in the UK even become a Packer fan? How does that happen? So for me, uh, it was the early 90s. So on Channel 4 on Sunday mornings, they used to have like an NFL highlight show. And it was just the size. You think in the 90s football, it was big oversized pads. It was the proper turf, like that lovely like light green almost luminous green turf and the every all like the characters were just bigger than life and that's how i became a packers fan it was watching brett Favre, a man that played the game with such a huge smile on his face like how could you not fall in love with this game 
I mean, I would have to imagine that most of your friends over there are not real familiar with the rules of NFL football, even, you know, what you're, you're, I would imagine kind of a fan of a niche sport over there. Do you know what? It, it, it was definitely 15 years ago. It, it's grown in popularity massively. So when I first watching it, I think people were like, they didn't understand why I liked it so much. There's definitely a growing sense of community and more and more team, like more and more people are getting into their teams and enjoying the sport. But it's just, it's nonstop commitment. It's staying up till 5am when you've got a primetime game. It's just constantly being on Twitter and reading what's going on and, and just soaking it all in. What about all your friends? Do they root for the Packers? Do they have their own rooting interests? I, uh, I've got one friend that's a Packers fan, but I've got uh, my best friend. He supports the Giants. I've got a friend who's a Saints fan. My brother, my, I've got two brothers. One supports the Dolphins and one supports the 49ers. So throughout time, we just, everyone picks a team for a certain reason. There might be very sort of um, ad hoc reasons even why we pick a team, but mine was just Brett Favre and seeing a man that loved the game. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was a little bit curious about how difficult it might be to get NFL games over there. I I, I do know that uh, the NFL Game Pass, different from how it is in America, where you can only watch games after the games are, are finished. Over in the UK, you can watch them live using Game Pass, right? Yeah. So there's two ways to watch games. So either you subscribe to Sky Sports, that is the sort of cable TV alternative over here. And so they'll pick two games a week that they have, they show on Sky and they're the games that are blacked out on Game Pass. But as long as they're not those games, you can watch any game live. And if the Packers aren't playing, it's normally Red Zone and watching with Scott Hansen. <laughs> Love it. If uh, London was ever to get their own NFL team, what would your reaction be to that? And also, what, what do you think would be a good name for a London team? For me, it has to be the London Monarchs. You have to bring the Monarchs back. The NFL Europe, like represent the old school games, like. But for for me, I'd still be a diehard Packers fan. It's just another reason to go to games. It's something we don't have access to, and when we do have access to it, we make the most of it. That's awesome. Well, Phil, I I super appreciate you coming on and and telling us a little bit about what this means for you um, as a, a Packer fan living abroad. Uh, Man, the, the dedication that you guys have to be trying to watch these games at all kinds of crazy hours and be, you know, it's, it's definitely different here in America where practically everybody at least has a, an understanding of the teams and such, um, you know, but to, to really be toughing it out over there, you guys are the diehards, uh, total respect for you guys. Uh, tell people where they can find you online. So you can follow me at UK Cheeseheads on Twitter. Um, yeah, it's just Packers rambling. Just, just constant rambling. Thank you, Phil, for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I think a lot of Wisconsin fans um, don't grasp fully how broad the Packers appeal is. I actually don't live in Wisconsin and never have. My family is from Green Bay. My great-grandma grew up in Green Bay. She used to babysit for players during games. They were next-door neighbors with Tony Canadeo. Tiny Croft lived just a block away from them. They uh, had Vince Lombardi over for dinner. Uh, My grandma grew up steeped in it. Her dad was a a foreman for a a steel company, uh, very involved in the construction of Lambeau Field. Uh, Her husband played football at Green Bay High School. I've got a cool picture of him uh, framed. But I've lived my whole life in Ohio and Michigan, traveled extensively. Uh, I've been to a few European countries, Ireland, uh, France. Did not see any Packers jerseys in France, but uh, definitely saw some in Ireland. I saw one when I was in Germany. The international appeal of the Packers is massive. I don't know if they are the most widespread fan base, but I, I would not be surprised if that's the case. There's a massive Packers fan base in Brazil. I actually have a lot of Brazilian followers on Twitter um, (laughs) who tweet at me in Portuguese sometimes. Uh, Thankfully, Twitter has just a little auto-translate button that makes the the, uh, communication back and forth pretty easy. Um, But you know where else there's a bunch of Packer fans? New Orleans. When um, Favre and, and the boys won the Super Bowl in New Orleans... That had a huge impact on a lot of folks who lived there, even though New Orleans has their own franchise um, who has been, you know, very successful. That 90s team had a big impact on the people of New Orleans. I I believe uh, Lil Wayne, actually, that was uh, how he became a fan. Uh, Could be wrong about that, but uh, that, that jives with my memory. So this sort of uh, evangelizing of going out, sending the team to uh, other countries, uh, Mexico City, I think would be uh, really awesome. Obviously, you know I want them to go to Munich. Uh, sending the team out to these cool locations where people can really fall in love with them, I think I think it's important. And you know my my uh, great grandma, who I just mentioned, she did a, a ton of traveling in the '90s and early 2000s. Uh, Right, my great grandpa had died, and and she went off and married some zillionaire, who took her whisked her all over the the world, um, everywhere they went, every country. She said that they were seeing Packers shirts, Packers uh, hats, uh, talking to people who who knew of and loved the Packers. That just surprised her. Uh, you know, never thought that uh, you'd be finding fans in all these far-reaching corners of the earth. A lot of Packer fans in China. It's kind of crazy. And I'm really excited that uh, they're they're finally going international. Uh, would love to see them play even more games in other countries. Uh, I, I know that uh, there's a lot of folks who don't want to give up home games. I've only been to one Packers home game <laughs> before, so uh, I'm... I, 
don't really care too much about uh, giving up the home games. I know there's people who are um, concerned about the economic impact on the city of Green Bay, and I understand that. There's also away games that you can give up, though. So the more games that the Packers are playing in other countries, the happier I'm going to be about it. But overall, I'm just am, am really happy and excited for all of my uh, friends who live over in um, the UK and, and surrounding countries who are going to be able to make a trip over there um, a lot more affordably. Those fans count too, man. They they matter, and uh, I'm I'm really happy that uh, they're they're getting the attention and priority that they deserve. Um, well, a fraction of it. <laughs> I think they deserve more than what they're getting, but um, I'm happy that they're getting some. Okay, I actually want to talk about uh, draft prospects today uh, because this is what I would kind of be doing with my day anyways is going through some draft prospects. And what I'm going to do, there's a lot of different ways that you can do your own um, draft research. Uh, We'll go through the way I like to do it, but um, is this by any means the best way to do it? Probably not. I don't watch a ton of highlights. Uh, I, I will watch whole games, um, or rather whole... Um, I'll, I'll find cut-ups of games when I'm looking at quarterbacks. I'll find cut-ups of games where it's just all the offensive plays and definitely uh, lean into the ones where it's just all the passing plays. Um but I, I don't watch much in the way of highlights because I feel like everybody has a good highlight reel, and I don't think it tends to be very representative of your college career, put it that way. A lot of what I like to do really is just um, scouting them on paper. There's other people who watch their uh, tape and write up their um, draft analysis, and I'm fine with just comparing a bunch of those. And then if I find somebody who's really intriguing to me, then I'll go ahead and put in the time to watch some of their games tend to spend the most time watching quarterbacks. Um, That's just one of the positions that I feel the most interested in and feel like I can pick out some stuff a little more easily than say offensive line. Um, Offensive line is one of those where I, you know, I'll, I'll watch players that I think are doing a really great job and then they'll come back with a uh, mediocre PFF grade. And it just kind of sucks the fun out of it for me for me. Cause I'm like, <laughs> all right, I don't know what I can do better in. <laughs> I'm not an offensive line coach. I don't know how to watch offensive linemen and, and really figure out uh, what mistakes they're making or, or what they're doing particularly well. So what I like to do is I go to the draft network and I just run a mock draft I let the computer pick all the other teams, which it's doing right now. We're going 16, 17, 18, going through the picks. Packers are about to be up at 28. And then I just stop and I look at the guys who are available when the Packers are on the board. And that's when I start doing my my research on them. So Packers are on the the clock at pick 28. Um, Notable guys who are still available. Kenny Pickett. Drake London. Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson, uh, Daxton Hill, DeMarvin Leal. I think it's Leal. It might, might be Leal. DeMarvin Leal. Uh, Jaquan Brisker, David Bell, Desmond Ritter. There's a lot of guys uh, still on the board uh, at pick 28. That I think 
kind of surprised me. I'm not going to be taking a quarterback today. I, I'm not ruling it out that uh, the Packers might take one, even though they have Jordan Love. I, I just I think it's unlikely. And I don't want to alienate the entire podcast audience on my first episode. So we're not going to do, do a quarterback. It's interesting to note that so the last few guys that were taken uh, by other teams in this mock draft by the computer. Tampa Bay took Matt Corral. I absolutely could see uh, Tampa taking a quarterback. I think they probably will. It just depends who's going to fall to them. Garrett Wilson went 26th to the Titans. I think Garrett Wilson is going to go considerably earlier than that. Um, so he's an Ohio State guy. I'm a big Ohio State fan. I know the Ohio State players really well. Um, Ryan, I think, is under the impression that if you're an Ohio State player, I'm automatically in love with you. <laughs> I, I think I am um, especially critical of Ohio State guys. And then the guys who do hold up to um, my scrutiny, I, I then really do love. I was a big Justin Fields fan last year in the draft. Uh, Garrett Wilson, I, I think, is um, a very, very talented wide receiver, but definitely a, an NFL prototype. Chris Olave is still on the board here, and I'm just not interested. Uh, I like Olave. He is definitely a wide receiver, too. Um, he is, his, uh, as of right now, and, and he could d certainly develop in the NFL, um, you know, depending on who his wide receivers coach is. I just don't think that he really has the tools to put it all together and be a wide receiver one in the NFL, which I think Garrett Wilson certainly can. Chris Olave to me is kind of only a deep threat. I've never really been impressed with him as a route runner. Um, he has that breakaway speed, uh, caught a lot of deep touchdowns at Ohio State. Uh, was definitely really important. And, and I will say he had a mind meld with Justin Fields. I think if there's any way for the Bears to grab Alave, I just think that Alave is going to do better in Chicago than he would do with most other teams because of the connection that he and Fields have. And, and before you poo-poo it and say that Fields stinks and the Bears stink, I, sure, yeah, I acknowledge all that. But I also want to point out some successes that we've seen in the last couple of years. You know, when Jamar Chase and uh, Joe Burrow got reunited, uh, that was instantly a special connection. And I think that uh, Chris Olave and Justin Fields were so locked in together in college that I, I think some of that really has to translate over to the NFL. It's a similar thing you saw with uh, Tua and Jalen Waddell. Obviously not to the same extent of uh, Chase and Burrow, but still, it was it was clearly there. So I'm not taking Olave. I'm not taking uh, Kenny Pickett is the next guy on the board. I'm not taking Kenny Pickett. I recognize that he is like a really highly touted quarterback in the draft. I'm not in love with the uh, quarterbacks in this draft class. Uh, just never have been. I mean, even like a, a whole year out, I was saying, I don't know who the heck is going to be in this draft class next year because like Spencer Rattler was the big name and I thought he was crap and I was had no interest in him. And he's not even, I mean, he, he lost his job halfway through the year at Oklahoma and he's not even in the draft this year. He transferred to, I don't remember where, NC State, something like that. 
So you got Zion Johnson. Um, uh, he's the next guy in here, and he is number 23 on Draft Network's big board. So I'm going to take a look at him. Uh, he's from Boston College, a uh, smaller school. I know the Packers prefer when you come from a big school, but I'm not ruling him out. Scheme fit, uh, zone run scheme. So the uh, this this draft profile was written up by Joe Marino, who I, I know is not everybody's favorite, but I, I don't think that his um, analysis is completely useless. So we're going to take a look at it. And I'm also going to pull him up on PFF as well. So we got, uh, what's his name, Zion? Zion Johnson. Here we go. So they don't have a ton of of stuff on him yet in PFF that's going to come. They said, uh, th- <clears throat> this is one of the reasons I like pulling up on PFF, though, is that they uh, immediately give you a lot of his numbers. He's six foot three, 316 pounds. He's 22 years old, nice and young. They have him as a second round pick, which, you know, going here at the very tail end of the first round, I, I think that uh, for the Packers, you know, you always have to consider like their first round picks are so late in the first round that they're basically borderline second round picks anyways, which means that their second round pick is a borderline third round pick. And do you have confidence that the guy that you want, who is projected to go maybe not at 28, but say at uh, 45, do you think that you have confidence he's still going to be there at your next pick at 56? Uh, no, absolutely not. So if you are if you have a guy who you really like and you believe in, and uh, you think he's, he's uh, worth a... a, a first or an early second to you, you're going to have to take a swing on him at the end of the at the first round here. He had an 87.6 overall grade as a left tackle in 2021 against Virginia Tech. So it looks like that's just one game. Uh, only one pressure on 46 pass blocking snaps versus Clemson. But again, that was in 2021, and Clemson's defense was not the greatest in 2021. That took a pretty big step back, but their uh, defensive line was still pretty good. Going back over to the draft network, Zion, they say, uh, is a competitive toughness, brings an aggressive and physical mentality to the table, and is always looking to finish blocks and set the tone up front. His play demeanor and temperament are exactly what the NFL is looking for. He continually looks for work and competes through the whistle. Um, I'm looking for versatility. Here we go. This is, this is a big one for the Packers, especially on the offensive line. Johnston has two seasons of experience at Boston College, playing left guard and one at left tackle. So, simple math tells he was there for three years, obviously, because they all are. Uh, he would have been there for A.J. Dillon. His best position is on the interior, but he can play tackle in a pinch if necessary. Johnson is a natural fit in a zone rushing scheme, but also holds his own with gap concepts. While he's best in pass protection, Johnson is a balanced blocker that finds success in the run game and operating in space. 
There's a lot more information here in Joe Marino's um, draft analysis, and there's um, other scouts out there who have info on on Zion, but I don't want to burn all your time on just this guy. After reading some more stuff about him, which all kind of echoed this, I, I would be really excited if we got him. Um, the fact that he's kind of projected more as a guard than a tackle to me bumps him down a little bit in value in my mind. I would be thrilled if we took this guy, uh, with our second pick. I don't know if he's going to make it that far. Uh, you might have to grab him with your first round pick. So I, I, I'd be fine if they took him in the first round. I just would be a little bit disappointed about missing out on some of the other talent here. If if they were saying with confidence that, with confidence that they thought that he could um, take over a, a maybe the right tackle spot, then I, I would just throw all my weight in with this. But Zion, I, I, I definitely feel good about, have a lot of confidence here. Uh, Jameson Williams is on here. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not interested. Uh, Williams, definitely a talented player who had a lot of success at Alabama. My concern is that he left Ohio state cause he couldn't get on the field. Um, and I, you know, Olave and Wilson and Smith and Jigba were, uh, lightening up all year and I get it. Uh, but Williams, to me, it just was a little bit more limited than some of those guys. He's just got blazing fast speed. He's another guy who's uh, uh, really good, uh, really really deep threat. And I do like that. But some of the, uh, the short stuff was a, a concern to me. So we can go ahead and look at Jamison Williams here and what they have to say about it. The comments I just made were my own thoughts after watching him play uh, a little bit at Ohio State and then obviously at Alabama where he played a lot more. They have him as a Z or a slot where he can use his quickness to get open quickly. <laughs> a, little red- a little redundant, but um, I don't know. One of my knocks on him was the route running. Uh, so I, I was curious to see what uh, the Draft Network's report was. And they actually are not crediting anybody. Usually they, they put a name on who wrote this up. Uh, here we go. Keith Sanchez. I'm not, not familiar with him. They have him as a first-round value, 84 out of 100 points. Here's what he says about route running. Williams is a quick twitch runner. He has the ability to quickly snap off routes underneath, can run routes with tempo, and find the soft spot in zone coverage and sit down. On deep routes, he's a very impressive route runner and has the ability to change direction without losing speed. That is definitely true. Excels at climbing vertically on safeties and giving great fakes at the top of routes that allow him to consistently get open on vertical routes. You know, I I, I did notice that, but it... uh, how do, how do I put words to this? It it almost felt gimmicky to me as though like you try that in the NFL <laughs> and see what happens. Like you you're not going up against NFL defenders every week. Uh I <sighs> He's Williams has always felt like an MVS to me. Um MVS 
can get open underneath, but but he's not much of a route runner, and he doesn't like win the contested catches. You know, you think about like Devonte, which obviously you know you talk about the best receiver in football. That's the gold standard. It's a little bit unfair to compare him to Devonte, but I, I'm just highlighting one of the differences between Devonte and MBS. With Devonte, Devonte like forces himself open. And with MVS, he's kind of like hoping that he can catch a guy sleeping a little bit and then get away from him with enough speed. And then he can stop and and make a play. With Devontae, it's more just like, listen, throw the ball here on the field and I just will make sure that I am there and that the defender is not there yet. Uh, Don't worry about uh, any of the rest of it. Just, Just put the ball there and then I will make it happen. And again, I realize that's a little bit unfair to hold him to the Devontae standard, but that, you know, that is, you see that from some other guys uh, in college. I think uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was the guy who beat out Jameson Williams for his job at Ohio State, just took it from him. Definitely something he does. Justin Jefferson did that in college for sure. So I would I be mad if they took Jameson? No, I wouldn't be mad, but I would definitely want to see some continued development from him. Obviously, the injury he suffered, I think it was an ACL tear, uh, is another cause for concern. The biggest reason I'm not interested in Williams in this draft is because there are a few other receivers available that I like a lot better. Drake London from USC and Jahan Dotson. Those two guys might be, and Garrett Wilson, I I would say that's like the uh, holy trio for me in this year's draft. Uh, John Dotson was just lethal at, uh, at Penn state. Oh, you know, is David Bell still available? Oh, David Bell is available. I think I have David Bell a little bit higher than John Dotson, but I like John Dotson a lot. And then, uh, I think of the three, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and look at David Bell. I, I only want to talk about, uh, one more receiver. So we'll do David Bell He's from Purdue. Um, who was the turner who the quarterback was this year Purdue? That was uh, Aiden O'Connell. Really, Aiden O'Connell's still there? Jeez, he's been there for like, like five or six years at this point. Bell projects favorably as a perimeter wide receiver at the next level. Prototypical X receiver. Uh, scheme tendencies, balanced offense. He's capable of winning in both a quick game and vertically down the field. Play action, shot concepts. What in the world is MOF? And MOF targets, I don't even know what MOF is, are likely his best ticket tie production. One of the things I really liked about Bell was that he kind of murdered everybody throughout the year, uh, regardless of like who the opponent was. And I think part of that had to do with the fact that he was like the only guy that Purdue had. So like he was always going to get the ball. Uh, PFF is not very high on. They have him as a projected third round pick. Bell ticks a ton of boxes you want to see for the position, but he doesn't profile as a consistent downfield separator at the next level. I don't know that I agree with that last part. He was um, definitely lethal downfield. Uh, what I guess they're specifically saying is a consistent downfield separator at the next level. He wins a lot of contested catches, though. 
Uh, going back to Kyle Krabs, uh, what does he say about separation? Separation, separation. Here we go. Vertically, I don't necessarily see the dynamic speed necessary to consistently stack defenders and be a consistent threat. But with double moves, I do suspect Bell will get some chunk gains off sluggos, out and ups, and stutter moves. Wow, who does that sound like? Devante. <laughs> but when he's working routes with hard breaks, I expect that's where you'll see him more consistently break free and make himself available. Now, at the end of the day, uh, one of the most important things in drafting players, especially wide receivers, well, I don't know about especially wide receivers. Um, I think it's definitely true of quarterbacks. One of the things that's important is like which team you go to. And so I think that that has a lot to do with it. You know, if you got if David Bell has uh, Daniel Jones thrown to him and Jamison Williams has, I don't know, uh, uh, Joe Burrow. Do I expect uh, that Jamison Williams is in a, a better situation to succeed? Yeah, but I still, I would probably slap my money on David Bell as being the more successful guy long-term in the NFL. So, and there are other guys um, around here that are certainly interesting. Uh, you know, we'll do one more. We're going to do Daxton Hill safety. Uh, definitely a safety that I hear about a lot from Packer fans. Um, and he's a guy that uh, TDN projects as a good fit with cover one or cover three. Uh, Packers do like to run a lot of cover three. So he's from Michigan. Uh, they had a really sneaky good defense this year. Not just uh, Adrian Hutchinson. And um, is that even right? That just sounds wrong. Coming off, coming off the, the tongue there. And uh, David Ajabo. Uh, I think that safety is certainly a need for the Packers. I, I, I think that um, unless they are going to go ahead and commit and sign Amos to an extension, which I really think they should, uh, I, I still think that safety is going to be a top four or five need for them. And if they are not going to bring back Amos after this year, then safety suddenly becomes a really big need. Now, the interesting thing with Hill, he actually played a decent amount uh, for Michigan as a cornerback, uh, very versatile. Uh, he'd primarily line up um, as a slot defender, which, you know, the Packers have had, taken a few stabs at a guy like that recently. We had Shamar Jean Charles last year. Obviously, Shannon Sullivan has played um, there a bit for us. Uh, Kevin King uh, kind of flourished in that role in 2021. PFF has him as a second-round pick. Uh, they are impressed with his coverage skills and ranginess. They say that he can also excel in modern too-high shell defenses. So, you know, <laughs> you got uh, TDN is saying cover one or cover three, and uh, and uh, PFF is saying, well, you know, let's lean into the too-high shell. Either way, um, this might be my pick at this position, if it weren't for the fact that Zion Johnson is available. And I just don't think that Zion is going to be there um, at our second pick. And I don't think that anybody comparable to Zion is going to be there at the, at the second pick. And by the way, in future mock drafts on this podcast, I think I want to lean more into some of the later rounds. We really spent a lot of time today talking about just the first round and the guys that are available there. And, 
Um, I just feel like there's a lot of coverage out there already on the top guys. And I just, I have a little bit more fun digging in and trying to find some hidden gems in the later rounds. And, and uh, I think that my draft analysis in recent years has been a lot more spot on. in some of those depth guys, uh, partly because I spend more time on it than, than the first couple rounds. But I mean, you look at guys that, that uh, I've really fallen in love with who have gone in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, um, who have really gone on to um, have big impacts in the NFL. I mean, immediately in their rookie season, even um, it's it's definitely the area that's most interesting to me, and I've had the most success with. So I'm going to take um, our second ad break real quick, and come back and and we'll finalize our first round pick and uh, move on. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So, uh, with Daxton Hill, there's a couple little last things I want to touch on. Ball skills. Uh, Draft Network. So, this article was written up by Brentley Weissman. Ball skills, an area where I wish he had more production is certainly interceptions. He's only brought down four in his three-year career. That being said, his ball skills are excellent. When the ball is in the air and he has an opportunity to make a play on it, he usually does. I don't feel like I learned anything in that paragraph. Feels kind of useless to me. (laughs) Run defense. An urgent player in the run game, Hill is quick to diagnose the run and comes downhill in a hurry. For a slender player, Hill is absolutely not afraid to make tackles and will throw his body around. What do they have here about like versatility? Uh, flexibility. Hill is a fluid mover in space, having loose hips to open up. This isn't versatility. This is his physical flexibility. Uh, to open up and turn and run. His movements are smooth, and there's very little wasted time in his transitions. He just needs to be more urgent when it's time to open up and rely a bit less on his closing speed. Well, that's something you can coach up uh, pretty quickly. I think that uh, Jerry Gray is, is uh, definitely the guy to do it. What do they have about versatility? Here we go. Hill is an extremely versatile player at the back end of this defense. He can play single high, free safety, nickel, outside corner, and even has aligned as a dime backer. His, fle- his blend of athleticism and toughness are exactly what NFL defensive coordinators are looking for out of a defensive back as it allows them to be creative on where he is utilized. In total, Daxton Hill, I really like. Um, this, here's the question, is do you take, I think when you're looking at like the, the three, the, the top three positions of need for me for the Packers are edge, um, offensive line, particularly tackle, and I would say wide receiver. 
But then there's that asterisk of well, what, what about safety if they don't do a long-term deal with Amos? If they are thinking that this is Amos's last year, then I think you're pretty well justified in burning a first-round pick on a safety here. And the Packers um, have clearly shown that safety is a position they value enough to take a first-round safety, late first-round safety. So um, there's not really any edge defenders on the board right now that are nearby. I mean, you got Boye Mafe from Minnesota, Logan Hall from Houston. Um, there is Cameron Thomas from San Diego State. Uh, we can look at him some other day. Um, I, I want to move on to the second round so we can at least hit that once before we have to pack up and get out of here. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, Zion Johnson, Daxton Hill, the safety, and then um, David Bell at wide receiver. I think I'm going to let wide receiver go to at least the second round. So um, I'm going to take, I'm going to go ahead and take Daxton Hill. I think Zion Johnson would also be a fantastic pick, but I just, you know, Hill is the most recent guy we, we touched on, and I just uh, kind of fell in love with him here. So, And that's kind of the point of what we're trying to do is fall in love with players. So Daxton Hill is my first pick. We're letting the computer go through. We got Cardinals, Cowboys, Bills, Falcons, and here we go, Packers at 59. So first of all, is there anybody on the board left that we had been considering with our first pick? No. All those guys got taken. So, uh, interior offensive lineman, Jamari Salyer from Georgia. That's, I don't know how you say his last name. They have him projected as a guard. Um, not really interested in doing that right now. They got a quarterback, Carson Strong from Nevada. No, thank you. Um, here's a, a defensive tackle, Travis Jones from Connecticut. UConn. Uh, Travis Jones' uh, ideal role is as a one-tech nose tackle. Um, His best game was Clemson in 2021. I'm probably going to go ahead and watch some cut-ups of that game. So UConn, Clemson, 2021. And pay attention to him. This is Travis Jones. Um, That's going to be an interesting one to add to the list. Flexibility. Run defense. Jones is an outstanding run defender where his power, mass, and processing skills shine. He's a sturdy and unselfish run defender that processes run schemes extremely well. He does well to anchor, maintain his run fit, and keep the second level clean. Holds his own against double teams, and single blocks won't move him. That, to me, is exciting. So definitely putting him on the list of guys I want to watch some tape on. Uh, I'm not going to take him in this mock draft with the second pick, but Travis Jones, definitely a guy I'm going to um, remember. Uh, I do want to keep trying to look at the two positions that we just abandoned in our first round of offensive line and wide receiver. So John Mechie is (laughs) on the board here. I don't want John Mechie. I I tend not to like the... Alabama wide receivers a lot of the time. I did love Jerry Judy. Um, I just, I feel like a lot of the time the Bama wide receivers don't necessarily live up to the draft hype. 
And I guess I that's not really why I'm ruling out John Mechie here. It's more just like my uh, perception of him heading into the 2021 season. And then he definitely outplayed where I thought he was going to be. Um, but I just, I, I never, I never like saw it. Um, definitely a talented guy. I guess I need to watch a little bit more of his stuff and, and read about him, but I'm just a little bit more interested in looking around. Here's Sky Moore from Western Michigan. This is going to end up being a, a painful <laughs> soundbite at some point if like John Mechie becomes like one of the best wide receivers of all time. And I'm like, well, let's skip him and talk about Sky Moore. Look, we're really early in the draft evaluation process. It's okay to jump around and we can come back to Mechie at some other point. Ideal role for Sky Moore, starting slot receiver. Uh, excelled in a spread offense at Western Michigan. Uh, his Now, this isn't encouraging. His worst game of the year was at Michigan in 2021. That's not great because Western Michigan's schedule was not like incredible. And Michigan was one of the only really good teams that they played. Uh, having said that, Michigan had a good defense. Uh, I mean... You look at, uh, uh, I mean, how they, they swept the floor with Ohio State's offense. They couldn't get anything going against Michigan. So, you know, this could be an instance where a couple years down the road, we'll be looking at guys whose worst game in college came against Michigan in 2021 and say, yeah, but look where all those guys ended up in the NFL. That was a really special defense. It's possible. But still not, not necessarily what you want to see, that he had his worst game against their best opponent. Route running. Um, so who wrote this? This was, uh, Kyle Krabs route running. I was impressed to see the short area agility and efficiency more showed on his route breaks. Hard angles were created with suddenness and his footwork economy was proficient to gear down quickly. I saw him run a slew of routes too, working slants, fades, corners, speed outs, and hooks from various alignments. Given how new he is to receiver, this is an exciting development. So what was he before this? Was he a cornerback? I'm guessing he was. Let's let's see here. So Sky Moore. We'll take a look at his stats and see where he was lining up previously. He what the heck are they talking about? He was a wide receiver in 2019, 2020, and 21 at Western Michigan. How new he is to receiver. Okay. So, Sky Moore. What did he play? Okay, so he was only a wide receiver in college, but in high school, he was a quarterback and defensive back. He became the first player in uh, Allegheny Conference history to rush and pass for a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons. Ah, that's pretty cool. He wasn't widely recruited due to his position being ambiguous. Well, yeah, quarterback and DB, <laughs> but still had offers and ultimately ended up with Western Michigan. Uh, as a freshman, Moore was switched to wide receiver and instantly had an impact, starting 12 games, making 51 receptions for 802 yards, and was awarded with a first-team All-Mac selection. Obviously, the number one knock on Sky Moore that you're going to see here is the competition. He is not from a big school. He did not perform well when he went up against Michigan. 
And when you're in the NFL, you're going to be going up against guys um, of Michigan's caliber. Um, I will continue to keep an eye on him. As of right now, I'm not super geeked about uh, Sky Moore. The interesting thing is I've seen a lot of folks in the draft community that I like and follow are really high on Sky Moore. So I'm going to have to talk to them and get some... um, perspective and, and see what they really like about him. For now, I'm going to keep looking for our second round pick. Josh Pascal from Kentucky is a uh, an edge rusher. Um, do, 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 do. This is by Kyle Krabs as well. They say the ideal role for him is as a 4-3 defensive end or a 3-4 um interior defender that is an interesting way to characterize an edge uh this to me does not really fit what i'm trying to look for here which is a zadarius or preston replacement this is a little bit more of a a hand in the dirt guy for sure um good he's a long guy um Good upper body power and strength. Uh, really strong hands. Blockers who are late with their hands or don't have a reach advantage on Pascal are going to pay for it at the point of attack. He's got a lot of juice here and wins knockback at the line of scrimmage with consistency. I will say, looking at what he's done over the course of his college career, this is a, an exciting prospect. I just a little bit wonder about fit with Green Bay. Now, we're getting... We're, going to have to get a new um, outside linebacker coach. But, you know, we we still do lean on these uh, outside linebackers as rushers. There's not a ton of hand in the dirt. And this is, to me, a little bit of a case similar to Rashawn Gary, where you bring him in and then he can't really play right away because you got to retool his entire skill set and make him start playing standing up. So, super interesting guy. I feel like uh, Pascal has a lot of potential to explode on some team. I just don't know that he's a great fit with what the Packers are trying to do. And if they do take him, I'm going to be a little bit concerned that it might take them a while to uh, integrate him in in their scheme. Which, you know, he's a second-round pick, so you kind of would want him to be contributing by, like, year two. Uh, football IQ. I'm not sure what caused the light bulb to come on for Pascal in 2021, but I'm glad it did. He was a totally different player in 21 as compared to the 2020 games I studied and appears to have a much more confident understanding of how he can play and play with diagnosis. Vetting what caused the issues in 2020 and what changed this offseason will go a long way in helping to determine the confidence I have in his reaching his lofty ceiling as a pro player. Again, to me, he's a, a developmental guy. I would be excited if they took Pascal, and then I probably would not expect him to see the field very early, which is probably fine since you're, you know, planning to have Preston back in 2022 and maybe for a year or two after that. And he really is supposed to be a Preston replacement. Um, I've been saying for more than a year that I've always viewed Rashawn as the Zedarius replacement. I said that, I think, at the beginning of the 2020 season. And you need a Preston replacement as well. 
Oh, who else is available? There's some linebackers here. Um, not super interested in taking a linebacker here. I think we have bigger needs. Um, Darian Kinnard is an interior defender from Kentucky. Uh, projects as a starting guard. Um, man, right now I'm still even leaning Travis Jones, who we had talked about a little bit earlier. Now, there's also some tight ends, and I, I am interested in that. Uh, I still feel like we have higher needs, but there's no wide receivers available right here that I'm excited about. So a if you can add a quality starting tight end, that might help with the pass catchers on this team. Um, so this is uh, Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. Uh, Coastal Carolina, obviously not a uh, Power 5 school, but and I don't think they've really had anybody um, in the last couple of years who's gone in the draft, but that is a school that has really been climbing, or I should say that has had success in the draft. Uh, versatility likely has athletic traits that make him uh, athletic traits that make him an exceptional versatile offensive weapon at the tight end position. Likely can align. This is going to mess me up. That his last name is likely. I feel, I feel like uh, <clears throat> reading these sentences is going to be confusing at times. Likely can align at the traditional Y position and as a flex tight end in the slot. This is definitely sort of a Robert Tunyon replacement. Uh, when Coastal Carolina wants to get creative, they align him as an H-back and put him in motion. This guy screams Packer just in the first uh, couple paragraphs I've read here. He's an effective and efficient route runner uh, running vertical routes. Likely showed the ability to run double moves up the seam and free himself of second-level defenders. What's his speed? I'm curious about that. Uh, let's see. So his name is Isaiah Likely. And... Uh, he's projected to be in the four, four or four, five range. So, you know, not bad for a tight end. Uh, I do like this guy. So Travis Jones and Isaiah likely are two guys that I'm going to be putting on my list to watch some tape on and, uh, study some more football IQ likely aligned in multiple positions. And I believe that this is a testament to his football IQ. You know what? I'm skipping this paragraph. This just sounds like it's going to get stupid. <laughs> Pass pro. This is one of the things I care about a lot. Uh, they don't have anything on his run block. Yeah, they got a little bit on his run blocking. Pass protection. Likely, likely is effective and efficient in pass pro. He throws good chip blocks where he is able to give the defender a rib, a rib shot, slowing their pass rush, and then he gets out into his route. He's also capable of staying in on pass protection when the offense needs to have an extra body in. He's a high-effort guy in pass protection, but like most tight ends, I wouldn't place him in single-blocking situations where he is responsible for blocking the defensive end. Worth noting, Robert Tunyon can do that. He took on uh, Nick Bosa and shut him down. Just saying. Just saying. So, likely is a guy that I am kind of geeked about. Uh, we got two guys here in the second round that are interesting to me. Uh, who else is available? There's a cornerback bunch of linebackers uh there's that josh pascal who they have characterized as an edge but i still feel you know it, it almost feels like josh pascal is like 
and I'm don't con- get confused in saying that I'm saying that he's up to the level of Aaron Donald, but almost like he plays more of an Aaron Donald role. Like he's an interior guy, but he's a pass rusher. Uh, now here's the last two guys I'm going to hit with second round. Uh, Arnold Ebikidi. Uh, this is a guy I was talking about yesterday with my wife, actually. So he's from Penn State. Um, I recall being impressed with him uh, in the 2021 season. I didn't watch a ton of Penn State, but I did uh, check out a little bit of their film leading up to when they played Ohio State. And obviously I watched that Ohio State game. He is pretty flexible. Uh, He's able to get really low and run under the hands of tackles outside. Uh, I don't think I mentioned that he's an, uh, an edge rusher. Um, to do, do. Ebikidi's anatomical length will check boxes for just about every team in the league, although his functional length doesn't appear to be as effective as he measures. An interesting thing with Ebikidi is he was actually a wide receiver in high school, and then he got massive and they moved him to edge rusher. Um, he here's what PFF has to say because he te- he transferred from Temple to Penn State. Um, in 2021, and the expectation at the time was that, well, you're going to a bigger school, your production is going to fall off, and actually he got a little bit better in 2021. PFF says they have him as a second-round pick. Ebikidi's consistent production is hard to ignore, but he just doesn't have the tools to get NFL evaluators excited. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Uh, production translates a lot of the time. Uh, especially when you look at the, uh, when you look at who the uh, opponents are, his pass rush grade in 2021 was a 90.5 run defense was a 78.3 in true pass rushing sets. His grade actually goes up to a 91 seven. Um, he played 12 games in 2021 played 741 snaps. Nice number there. He had eight sacks, 12 hits, 32 hurries, and he batted down a pass. Uh, Looked like most of the time he was basically exclusively an outside um, defender. So I'm looking at at their schedule. He played the bigger teams that he played were Wisconsin, uh, Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. In none of those games did he have a bad grade. His worst grade of those was 68.5 against uh, University of Michigan. Sorry, Michigan State. Against Michigan, he had an 80.7, which was actually the highest grade of the whole year. And they have a pretty decent offensive line. Against Ohio State, I vividly remember how badly Ohio State's tackles got beaten on that day. It was embarrassing. And uh, that stuck out to me a lot. It's actually the Penn state game is one of the biggest reasons why um, I'm not real high on Nicholas Petit Frere from Ohio state as left tackle. Uh, What's this guy's name? Arnold Epikidi. Epikidi is very intriguing to me. I like that all of his best games were coming against the best opponents. So he was kind of uh, rising to the challenge. It wasn't like he was just beating up on the small schools. I think given my perceived needs for the Packers. I think I'm going to go ahead and take Ebikidi with my second pick. Uh, TDN has him as the number 73 
overall player on their board, actually one spot above Nicholas Petit Frere. I'm going to go ahead and take Ebikidi, but two guys, Travis Jones and Isaiah Likely, are definitely on my list of guys I want to study more. Uh, very excited about what I saw from there. So with my second round pick, I'm going to go ahead and take Arnold Ebikidi at edge. So we uh, went defense twice in a row here, safety and then edge. You know, and that's, I guess, something to keep in mind. Uh, I'm definitely drafting best player available, but weighting it slightly for need. Uh, but I can't ignore the fact that I have, um, you know, we're at the third pick in the draft, and I have not touched wide receiver or offensive line, which are two of the things I have said are the uh, uh, biggest needs at all, oh, baby. Oh, <laughs> so we're up. Uh, we're up for our, our third round pick. and I'm looking at some of the guys that are available. And I will just say my favorite tight end in the draft is sitting right there. Jeremy Ruckert. He's an Ohio State guy. Uh, sue me. But um, I, I do like him. I think uh, he is easily the Ohio State player I'm the most interested in this year. I do like Garrett Wilson, but he's not my top wide receiver. I'm not real interested in most of the other guys available from Ohio State in the draft this year. Haskell Garrett is interesting, but he's like a fourth or fifth round pick for me. Jeremy Ruckert is my tight end one. Uh, but we're, we're not going to do a uh, third round today. We got two rounds in, we got some interesting guys to, uh, that we were learning about. This is how I do my draft analysis. I just do uh, mock drafts and then I look at who's available and that's how I just decide who I'm going to start studying is because, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm not just going to start at number one and be like, Oh yeah, let's watch all of Adrian Hutchinson's tape and do all the evaluations on him. I'm, I'm definitely more interested in who's going to be available when the Packers are on the clock. So this is fun to me. This is what I was going to be doing tonight anyways um, with my uh, football time. So kind of pull back the curtain and, and let you get in on that for some of our upcoming episodes. I've got some fun research projects I want to get into, um, but definitely I'm uh, real excited about the draft, real excited to keep doing episodes of this show, whatever the final name ends up being. Big thanks to Ryan for uh, giving me the platform to uh, talk to you guys on here. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys every week. I think it's going to be Wednesday afternoons that these shows are going to go out. Big thanks to uh, Goose for his uh, support in helping me get uh, PFF access. Super appreciate that. Um, got a couple of supporters on Patreon. If you're interested in helping me um, uh, come up with a little bit of money to continue getting access to some of these cool tools like PFF uh, so I can uh, continue to have more resources to do my research with. I super appreciate it. Uh, do make a little bit of money off of the ads on this show, but um, the support on Patreon uh, goes a real long way for me. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y. Also, check me out on Twitter. That is where I'm by far the most active uh, if you post stuff on Facebook for me, I, I'm going to try and see it, but uh, I, I definitely miss a lot of Facebook stuff. Twitter is where you can get in touch with me like right away. Uh, I talked to a lot of folks on there um, kind of all day. I uh, love answering questions. Uh, if you have questions for the show or if you have an opinion about any of the names that I pitched for this show at the beginning, I think we're going to have our uh, show name and logo in place next week for sure. But for today, 
I uh, just want to get some content out to you and uh, appreciate you tuning in and listening. Went a little bit long today. Uh, Going to try and keep it a little bit shorter than an hour, but uh, just really was having a lot of fun doing what I was doing. So you folks have a great day. Follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy, and I uh, look forward to talking to you next week here on the Packernet Podcast Network.